Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 26th, 2024. I'm Kim Hollis, and I'm ready for a nap after a week that felt more like a year. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and number 30 in the Royal Rumble. All right, this is my time. Oh, oh wait, the, the rock's here? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst and no longer snowed in because it's 60 degrees out. I give up, weather. I give up. You win. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by the new host of The Daily Show. Nope. The new coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Nope. The new film chief at Netflix. There's still a chance. Raul Burial. This week... Netflix. Pretty much, yeah. Just all Netflix, all the time. The week started with the announcement that Netflix's film chief, Scott Stuber, would finally be leaving the company. And we're going to come back to that because shortly thereafter, Netflix announced a deal with TKO for WWE Raw live on Netflix every week. And that wasn't even the big news because later in the week, Netflix reported their quarterly earnings and, as seems to be the case recently, blew away expectations. You say they announced a WWE deal this week? So I guess we we need, do need to take this piece by piece, and this isn't it wasn't the biggest news, but I guess possibly now it is. Uh, the TV rights for what's ostensibly WWE's main program, Monday Night Raw, were up, and there were hints and rumors that there were possibly would go to a streaming service. I did see Amazon mentioned or speculated, and then all of a sudden here is Netflix saying, "Yeah, we'll take it. It's a ten-year deal worth up to five billion dollars." I think there's an opt-out after you know five years if, if it doesn't work, but separating the news that came out in the latter half of the week. Uh, So there's still a chance that this deal will fall through or go sideways. This is what- Hold on a second, Tim. Let me Google the news that came out later in the- Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's depraved. I'm sorry. Continue. (laughs) So it is terrible. It is horrible. It is awful. I'm upset and angry. But taking that separate from what this announcement is, this is what Netflix and really all the streaming services are looking for. Yes, it's not major league sports, but this is live content every single week for Netflix. They've wanted something like this, I'm sure, for a long time. And there's layers to this as well, because wait, wasn't all the WWE content on Peacock, because when they when they acquired the WWE Network, that's not coming with as of yet. This is just going to be a live program on Netflix starting in 2025. So there's a chance next year you will be watching Raw on Netflix and they will be talking about, hey, you should watch WrestleMania. Oh, so that's on Peacock. Yeah, it is likely to clarify over the next couple of years. What's happened here is that let's go back to the root of it all. Endeavor, the talent agency, which happens to own both the um, UFC MMA fighting organization as well now the World Wrestling Entertainment Company WWE has merged them both together into a umbrella company called TKO. That umbrella company has signed a deal with Netflix to show the Monday Night Raw programming live weekly. Netflix is getting not only into sports but also into 
live content on a regular weekly basis. And outside of the United States, they will also be showing all of the WWE pay-per-view content as well as the other WWE weekly program, SmackDown. Why not in the United States? Because that's where Peacock has the deal. But that Peacock deal is only through, I believe, 2025, at which point Peacock either has to renegotiate or TKO will take those rights elsewhere, where, I don't know, maybe Netflix, where those shows already appear around the world. It was a big deal. They also coincidentally announced that same day that Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, would become a board member at TKO. It seemed like it was a deal that was very important, both for TKO, the WWE, as well as Netflix, as Netflix was trying to presumably deflect a little bit from the Scott Stuber news. And evidently, WWE was trying to deflect from an impending, rather terrible story about how their previous leader, Vince McMahon, had done some rather inappropriate sexual things and was now being sued. That is the terrible news that came out later in the week. It was beneficial to both Netflix and WWE to come out ahead of all this and make this big announcement. I disagree strongly that it was beneficial to Netflix. Netflix's timing here was worst case scenario because they make this announcement one day and the very next day the other thing drops, they look like they have been caught completely unaware, even though I don't think that's the case. It is absolutely savage timing for them. They did not catch a break here, but let's let's not, that's going to be a really tricky conversation and if I'm honest, none of the four of us on this podcast really wants to have that conversation. We're going to have to because we're professionals, but yikes. But let's talk about the actual deal itself for a moment because Raul has hit on things and Tim has hit on things that matter the most here. First of all, we have wondered for years when Netflix would get into live programming. They have just committed to live programming for the next five years. Second of all, we have wondered what was going to happen to sports rights. And although this is being reported a certain way, this is actually a strong indication that sports right negotiations went poorly for TKO. And TKO's stock is frankly going to stagnate for an indefinite period of time because this was the best they could get. And while the round numbers sound good, they're not reflective of the actual deal. We're discussing right now how this deal covers international territories. That was extra money that they were getting in the past. They're no longer, the WWE TKO is no longer getting because they have rolled all of it into one asset. In other words, Netflix has effectively swallowed most of the WWE outside of the United States in terms of its broadcasting. That is a singular entity now, which means instead of them getting 12 checks, they're getting one check. And so while $500 million sounds good, you have to subtract from it what they were already getting for Raw, which I believe, Tim, I'm not looking at my notes. It was like $200 million, wasn't it? Uh, somewhere thereabouts, I believe so, yes. Yes, that's unfact-checked. I apologize if that number proves inaccurate. But anyway, so they're already only talking about a $300 million gain, and then you have to subtract all of the other stuff. One news item we haven't touched yet, the WWE Network no longer exists. Now, in the United States, nobody was using it anyway because Peacock had become the WWE Network. But all the revenue they were making in outside entities for that are gone now. They have just eliminated all of their external revenue that is not merchandising and sponsorships. Netflix owns the WWE in terms of what it can and can't do. And after five years, if they don't want it anymore, all of these operations have to start anew internally in WWE because they effectively have just two partners now. One is Comcast and the other is Netflix. They have committed everything to this deal and it better work for them. Just to clarify, the WWE Network 
still exists in the rest of the world. In 2021, in the US, it was absorbed into Peacock, but it still is, it exists as a separate service. And that's why Netflix is getting all the WWE content starting in, in 2025. That is when the WWE network will officially cease to exist as it was previously known. There are two parts of this story that we probably should cover a bit more specifically. One is the deal doesn't start until January 2025. However, currently the WWE network will end on the last day of 2024 and the USA network agreement to air raw ends in, I want to say, is it September, Tim? I believe it's September, probably coinciding with you know, whatever they consider the new television season. So there's a chance we had right, a that Raw has no home for three months as of it currently stands now. When the story broke on Tuesday, we all assumed there'd be an easy, equitable agreement where Raw just happily continued on USA Network until the day when the Netflix thing broke. But now, in the wake of other events, that's kind of a hot potato, and we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, one of the points of Raw that they like to bring up all the time is it's the longest-running show of its type in the history of television, that could feasibly end and it could end in, you know, September. Or then again, it might theoretically end in January anyway, depending on how you describe it, since it'll no longer be on broadcast television. So we've got some weirdness to this deal that remains to be explored. But the most important thing is, as soon as the Netflix deal starts, all of the international revenue that they've been making from the ancillary markets, that's going to go away. There's going to be one, one big paycheck from Netflix replacing all of it. Meanwhile, for Netflix, Raul, you had an excellent analogy about this. What is the actual cost of this for Netflix? This will come up again in the Scott Stuber conversation, but at $500 million a year for the WWE content for Netflix, that sums up basically two Zack Snyder movies. A company that is committing $17, $18 billion a year to content, $500 million a year for weekly live wrestling events. That's a no-brainer. The deal is full of one for Netflix. Netflix is in complete control of every aspect of this negotiation, which tells you just how poorly positioned in the marketplace TKO was. This did not play out in any way, shape, or form like they were telling investors it would. They just lost here, even though they're reporting it as a win. This was devastating for them. So now we're starting to look at it and we're going, okay, from Netflix's perspective, they could have Raw for up to 20 years at very minimal price increases because they're the determinant on whether or not it goes from six years to 10 years. In other words, six to 10, that's their choice. And then if they're going from six to 10, they have the right to go ahead and bump it up to 11 to 20, which means it could be five years or it could be 20 years. And TKO has absolutely no say over that, which is just bizarre to me that they would give up that much control. But that's how desperate they were for this one partner, Netflix. And we don't know what Netflix is going to look like in five years much less 10 years or 20 years. WWE's fate, TKO's fate, is now inexorably tied to the fate of Netflix, which is not something you do when you're in an alpha position negotiation-wise. Now we have to have the other conversation. Kim, can you as neutrally as possible say what has happened with the WWE this week? Well, it's going to be very tough to say this as neutrally as possible, but there is a earth-shattering, I would say, lawsuit that has come across against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and others involved in the WWE, accusing them of various crimes, including 
trafficking and more. It's very heinous. I don't know how anyone could read any of the stories published about this and not be appalled. Ultimately, Vince McMahon was on the board of directors of TKO. He has now resigned. I presume that they pushed him out as quickly as they could. There was some question whether they could based on the terms of his TKO contract, but it definitely casts a big shadow on Netflix's acquisition of WWE here. And there's still some question about whether there are people who were involved in some of the things described in the lawsuit that we don't know about yet. I don't know how much more in depth we need to get into this. It's rather terrible. It's unquestionable that Vince McMahon was a terrible person. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. It was known that there was some kind of sexual malfeasance happening in McMahon's office previously before the WWE was sold to Endeavor. He had previously stepped aside as the CEO of the company. And for some time, everybody thought that, whoa, what a relief. Glad he's gone, only to have him come back and take charge of the company once again, and uh, only then sell it to Endeavor. This is a long litany of issues related to McMahon. It was time for him to go. I'm glad he's been pushed out. Endeavor probably saw this coming and yes, probably wanted to get this deal done before the news broke. If we have to take this through the business side of the deal, it may very well be a negative for Netflix, I think, at this point. People at Netflix are probably going to want to move past this conversation as quickly as possible. They'll say, look, McMahon's been pushed out at TKO. We're not doing business with that person anymore. And everything's good again. Although there's probably going to be the taint of Vince McMahon on that company for some time to come. It certainly does not appear that anyone expected this to happen during this particular week for this revelation to occur. And I say that because the New York Stock Exchange gave TKO the opportunity to ring the bell on Tuesday. The Rock actually showed up and rang the bell. He was there with Nick Khan and Triple H, the two people in charge of the company. And John Cena was there. And standing between John Cena and The Rock was Vince McMahon. And there is 0% chance they have him in that position if they are expecting revelations like this to come out, which creates all kinds of other questions about what paperwork's been signed, whether or not Netflix has any recourse here. There are huge positives in this transaction for them because the social signals of the WWE are legitimately the gold standard in the corporate world. So many of their stars and so many of their channels have massive million follower outlets. It is remarkable, really. That is actually the underlying strength of the WWE is its social signals. So I understand why Netflix will maintain this transaction, but I also would not be surprised if they've at least toyed with the legal recourse options they have to lessen the terms of the deal or to get some sort of, you know, escape clause. This is a nightmare scenario that they're going to try to sleep under the rug, but it is the worst case scenario timing. Yeah, not to take away anything from this, I think we all understood that when you do business with a person like Vince McMahon, you're likely to end up in a rather terrible situation. And that is the chickens coming home to roost at this point. There was some thought 
early on in the week, particularly with Dwayne Johnson moving up the ranks at TKO, that this might be a harbinger of more news to come related to the UFL, the merger of the XFL and the USFL, that maybe TKO might take a stake in that company, that maybe Netflix might start broadcasting some of those football games. At this point, I don't know that there's any speculation on that front. I think maybe folks are waiting for the smoke to clear before there's any further conversations on that front, but I would venture to say that Dwayne Johnson was certainly hoping that was going to be the reality of things. I doubt that the UFL is a moneymaker for him at this moment, but he's just going to have to wait to see where the chips fall in light of these recent revelations. So I think you can tell by the tone we're all using, this is usually a fun, upbeat podcast, and we're all just wildly uncomfortable with everything we're saying right now. But from a business perspective, if you can somehow distance yourself from the allegations involved here, which are unforgivably heinous and just the signs of a a monstrous human being, multiple monstrous human beings, we need to get back to the business side of this. And Raul, we need to talk about Scott Stuber and the fundamental divide that exists between old school Hollywood and digital streaming services. And what does the disappearance of Scott Stuber from Netflix show about that? Right. Okay. So Scott Stuber was the head of film at Netflix. So he's the one giving Zack Snyder $500 million is what you're saying. It's his fault. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair to Scott Stuber's credit, it's my understanding that he was much more of an advocate for spending the money much more wisely, producing fewer movies that were better movies, and also trying to convince Ted Sarandos at Netflix to maybe let him release some of those movies theatrically. And that didn't seem to be really working out. Stuber was the champion of Hollywood here, and it didn't quite pan out in his tenure there, but it doesn't seem to be an acrimonious departure. It's my understanding that he was probably on the way out for a couple of years now. He, as head of film, had a peer at Netflix, who was Bella Bajaria, who was head of scripted and unscripted series at Netflix. When Ted Sarandos moved up to co-CEO at Netflix from his position as chief content officer, Bella Bajaria was the one who was selected to replace Ted Sarandos in that position of chief content officer. It was basically a 50-50 whether it was going to be Stuber or Bajaria. Bajaria got the job. Once Stuber didn't get that job, it was clear that Stuber was probably going to be on his way out. Scott Stuber has indicated that he's probably moving on to other projects. He's no longer going to be the head of film at Netflix. And Netflix has correspondingly indicated that, yeah, we're probably going to create fewer original movies and we're going to instead buy more movies, which is something actually that's going to come up a little bit later on in the podcast as Netflix has been spending money left and right at Sundance this week. And obviously the fundamental divide here, the challenge that's not going away is some people in Hollywood continue to believe that the best thing to do is to always have a merge strategy where you allow a film to play with a theatrical release and in the process, you thereby build buzz for its release on streaming. And that idea is 
fundamentally supported by what we've witnessed at Peacock, with Max, and even with Disney+. And that's why you're seeing those three companies reevaluating how they're addressing the theatrical window. But the one company that has no business doing that right now because it actually messes up their bottom line business model, their core, is Netflix, which means Scott Stuber was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it made him a square peg for a round hole because he was thinking of it in terms of old school Hollywood and Sarandos and his team know that Netflix is its own thing. And unlike everything else in society, Netflix is akin to Apple in that there's nothing else like it and there's probably not going to be. And so the rules are different and Stuber tried to inflict his opinions into a conversation where it is already decided how Netflix will continue to exist. And this actually circles back to a film we discussed a couple of years ago, which was the release of Glass Onion. And Raul, at the end of the day, Stuber felt that maybe if Glass Onion earned enough at the box office, maybe just maybe Netflix would change its mind. And that didn't happen at all, did it? No, and it was a very limited release at the box office. It was a little bit of a trial balloon. There was some speculation given how it was doing at the box office that maybe Netflix would extend that release window, but that's not exactly how theatrical releases work. I think maybe if Stuber had stuck around, he might have eventually bent Ted Sarandos to his will and convinced him to release more movies in theaters for longer. But I think he's finally tired of the grind and he's moving on to other things. And that's fine because Netflix really realizes where their real bread and butter are, where the real money is. And that is in licensing content. And it comes all the way back to Suits. Here's an old show that doesn't cost nearly anything at all to license. And you put it on your streaming service and becomes the most successful series of 2000. 2023. It's a little absurd, but that is how it breaks down. Netflix came out with their earnings this week and announced astronomical gains in terms of subscribers. The estimates were that they were going to add maybe 9 million subscribers in the last quarter. They added 13 million. We're just throwing out the number 13 million without context. Let's think about it like this. In one quarter, they got 42% of the subscribers that Peacock has after all this time. 42%. Peacock, we're about to say, has 31 million subscribers as of its most recent quarter. Netflix just spiked by 13 million. That's what it's doing in a quarter, which means in two and a half quarters, it would get more new subscribers than Peacock has managed in its entirety. It is a brain-breaking number. It really is. Roll, this is as good an earnings report as they can possibly have, isn't it? It is indeed. Their stock price skyrocketed after the news. It is not back to the point it was in 2021 where they reported one bad quarter. Their stock price at the time was $690 a share. But after this week's news, they're up to $570 a share again. If you bought Netflix after its stock plummeted after that one bad quarter, you'd be buying at roughly $200 a share. It's now selling at $570 a share. People love Netflix and Netflix knows what works for them. Their subscriber growth is immense. Their revenue is on track to what they expected, and they continue to push towards an ad revenue base, which is why they keep canceling their <laughs> ad free tiers. 
Yes, they know that there is money to be made in ads, and we will get to that in a little bit. But yeah, Netflix realizes there is more revenue to be had out there. In fact, there's conversations happening now about how they can monetize their gaming platform, as we've dabbled in that one as well. Netflix has games, whether you realize this or not, right now, chiefly for your phone. But they're trying to figure out if maybe they want to spin that off as a separate subscription or if there's other ways to monetize that. Netflix is finding ways to make more money. And right now, they're firing on all cylinders. It is just win after win for them. So speaking of ads. Yeah, there's more news this week because by the time you're listening to this episode, there will be ads on Prime Video. Not a surprise. We knew this was coming, but here we are. This could be a game changer in streaming. We've already spent a lot of time on Netflix, so let's try to be brief here. But the takeaway here is that Amazon could savage the ad market. It's never been entirely clear how many Amazon Prime subscribers actually watch Prime Video, but conservatively, we can expect that overnight, 100 million subscribers will be seeing ads when they didn't see ads the day before. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we had a couple of different investment papers this week that were evaluating how much this could mean to the bottom line. And the lower one came from Moffat Nathanson, and that said this was going to be like $2 billion in found money for Amazon this year alone. That was the lower estimate. There was another one that was closer to $3.5 billion, which means that people believe that Netflix has just added at least $500 million a quarter in earnings just on this one decision. And that's how you get a quick yes from every everyone in the boardroom right there. It'll add half a billion dollars a quarter. Yes. Yeah, this is a uh, this could be very problematic for pretty much anyone else who wants ads. It's going to be a vacuum that pulls advertisers away from streaming platforms and linear. These are the headwinds that linear broadcasters are battling as more people move to watching content on demand via streaming. There's fewer people watching linear. If you're NBC Universal or Paramount and you have to chase those ad dollars that are abandoning NBC and CBS, you have to chase them to your streaming platforms and put ads on Peacock and Paramount. Amount plus that explains right there why studios with linear channels are launching streaming services. It's not that they're wanting to cannibalize their linear channels, but the ad dollars are leaving linear. So you want to recapture those ad dollars however you can, and you need to go where those dollars are, and that's on streaming. And that's another divide we've got. We've got these existential debates that are popping up, and this is one of them, because this same week, Moffat Nathanson also came out and referred to giving up linear to go ahead and focus on digital advertising as like taking the wood out of your house to go ahead and build some sort of shed in your backyard. That misses the point to me, because the reality is that house is on fire and it's going to burn down anyway. You might as well try and find something sustainable for the next thing. But that is the debate that's happening right now is, do you keep propping up linear or do you fully commit to digital? And Raul, we don't know that there's an answer to this, but we feel strongly about it, don't we? Yeah, it's inevitable. The eyeballs are leaving linear. Where are they all going? They're going to streaming. You can only spend so much time trying to prop up those linear channels until they finally collapse. But here's what's happening is that Amazon has showed up and said, we have more subscribers than any of those other streamers advertise with us instead. That argument is going to crush any of the other streamers that are trying to make any revenue off of their ads. And what's more important to note here is that it's not infinite ad dollars. It's not just because you have so many ad slots on your platform that you're going to be able to fill them all with paying ads. 
if you're Procter and Gamble and you're trying to sell shampoo or your Coors and trying to sell beer, do you put those ads on a linear channel or on a random streaming service or a streaming service that will guarantee to you that not only are we going to show your content to all these different people, but also target those ads, something that a streaming service can do, but a linear channel can't. Oh, you want 22 to 30 year old males? We can put your beer ads in front of those people only. You want your shampoo in front of moms? We can put your shampoo ad in front of those people only. That is the appeal of putting your ad on a streaming service. Yes, this is the strength that Disney has been flexing as well, where they had Hulu actually structured that way to begin with, which gave Hulu a huge competitive advantage over everyone else. Now we have Amazon entering the same space. It is about to get thin at the top. And so we're going to see some people who don't survive because you already got people complaining about ad dollars. Now they're going to be much more focused on a select few companies, which means there's going to be a game of musical chairs. There aren't many chairs and there are a lot of people playing. And a lot of what we're discussing this week, folks, I got to be honest with you, it has a season finale kind of feel because we're closing some stories right now and opening the door on others. And we don't know what's about to happen next with some of this. But if you're not well positioned right now at this second, you better find a chair as fast as you can. And almost lost in all this noise, Comcast, parent company of NBC Universal and streamer Peacock, had their quarterly earnings call this week. They presented a good narrative as Comcast beat expectations, boosted their dividend, and reported 31 million subscribers for Peacock, which only, and I'm putting that in quotes, lost. $825 million that quarter. But for what it's worth, and as David pointed out last week, any subscriber boost we expect to see from the NFL wildcard game on Peacock a couple of weeks ago is only going to materialize in the next quarter. So we're going to be watching out for that. So it is one of those good news, bad news types of things. And this isn't a glass half full, glass half empty. This is a glass mostly empty, but let's make it sound like it's full type of situation. And Comcast, this is the hand they're dealt and they're doing the best they can with it. They did have wins. We can talk about, and we did talk about last week, what those 23 million people watching the football game actually meant. But from their perspective, it meant immediate revenue and they need it because if you're only losing 825 million a quarter, you're only losing 3.2 billion, 3.3 billion a year. That is not sustainable for anybody, no matter how good structurally Comcast is as an incredibly well-diversified corporation. No matter how it seems with Comcast, they cannot have one service siphoning off nearly a billion dollars a quarter. It's just not sustainable. So we're in that situation where we understand why it's a loss leader. But if after all this time, you've only got 31 million subscribers, and that's after you aired a playoff game exclusively, you have not made the impact you need to make to be survivable. And that's what we're talking about this week. A lot of what we're describing is the haves are differentiating themselves from the have-nots. Right now, this second, Netflix has just made its play for the WWE, and you should not miss that for what it is. That is a shot off the port bow at Comcast Peacock, because if Peacock doesn't keep the WWE, those 31 million subscribers, we know for a fact that 
at least one million of them, if not two or three million of them, are just from transition people from the WWE network. And it's not like they found enough Peacock content that has sustained them. This is a really bad situation for Peacock to be in. But next quarter should sound better because of what we're talking about, where a lot of suckers like us, and we actually watched a CNBC analyst say the same thing. They paid $30 to get a year of Peacock just to watch one stupid football game. <laughs> so, Tim, there's really no box office to report this week, and there's no ratings either. No, I mean, it's not like we had anything else to talk about this week, so I guess it's going to be a really short podcast, right? It was nice of Vince McMahon to give you a solid and, you know, give you something to talk about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no, that's a terrible choice of phrase. Oh, God. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Sophia Coppola revealed that she'd been working on an adaptation of Edith Wharton's The Custom of the Country, set to star Florence Pugh, but Apple TV Plus has pulled the plug. I do hope we learn why the plug was pulled on this, because this sounds amazing on paper. I know. Everything about it sounds good. Gilmore Girls fans will be happy to learn that Yannick Trusdale, who played Michelle on the show, has been cast in Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino's next series for Prime Video, Etoile. We could not love Yannick Trusdale more. This put a a song in our hearts, didn't it, Kim? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So excited. And, you know, just knowing that they're working on something new is always wonderful. Amazon is also preparing a new series set to star David Duchovny, Jack Whitehall, and Carice Van Houten. Malice will tell the story of a young man who tries to infiltrate the world of a wealthy family. After shows like Succession, suddenly the dark secrets of wealthy families seem to be all the rage. Yep. And Hulu has secured the rights to the four-part docuseries, Thank You, Good Night, The Bon Jovi Story. Four parts. So if the chorus of Living on a Prayer doesn't hit the end of the second episode, everyone involved should be fired. Oh, we're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He has seen a million faces and he has rocked them all. You can't tell that in one part. Netflix is spending money at Sundance, having secured the rights to It's What's Inside and the documentary Skywalkers, A Love Story. It's What's Inside is a thriller that is getting a lot of buzz at Sundance. They dropped $17 million on it. And uh, Skywalkers is actually about, you've probably seen them on Instagram, a couple that spends a lot of time climbing to the top of buildings and getting pictures taken, but also happens to be a love story as the title would imply it's a years-long narrative as the two seem to drift apart because of differing priorities. Netflix has also given a vote of confidence to their relationship with Harlan Coben as they've signed on to adapt Missing You and Run Away. Coben's a very prolific writer and Netflix has already adapted a number of his works. Clearly, Netflix is happy with the results, even if none of those projects have exactly broken through. And can anyone recall a single Harbin Colon adaptation? Uh, I don't know. Can you, Kim? Uh, Shelter? It was not on Netflix. It was on uh, Prime Video. (laughs) He's totally making that up, but we don't (laughs) actually know enough about it to prove it wrong. So... (laughs) 
And finally, Paramount Plus has canceled Wolfpack after one season. Yeah, the paranormal series based on the books from Ido Van Belkum about werewolves and starring Sarah Michelle Gellar didn't get the buzz they wanted in season one. And the writers and actor strikes delayed the start of production on season two. By the time the studio was ready to start filming, it was clear any momentum the series had was gone and the plug was pulled. Paramount's tightening their belts as they're looking for a buyer. And if the show isn't doing gangbusters right now, it's going to get cut. As always, we wrap up the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And after Tim talked about it a couple of times, I had to play Octopath Traveler 2. I am just loving it. It is great storytelling. The characters are fun. I like the voice work. I like the music. I love the way the game looks. I have kind of been through about three chapters so far, and I know there's lots more to come. I think there will be lots of time to invest here. If you like RPGs, this is one that I think you should definitely, definitely check out. Raul, how about you? It seems that once I land on a streaming service, I spend a lot of time on that streaming service. I spent an ungodly amount of hours watching the, season, the second season of Welcome to Wrexham on Hulu. I feel like they were trying very hard to make a full season out of the content they had, and it wasn't nearly as compelling as season one, but I watched it all, and uh, I hope maybe they wrap it up in season three because I fully expect that there will be a season three. Meantime, I'm very pleased with what I've seen so far with death and other details the mandy patenkin crime thriller where he plays a detective on a boat trying to solve a murder it's three episodes in and very entertaining but i'm gonna tell you instead about plus one which is a movie on hulu that david alluded to last week because we're talking about maya erskine who is now the co-lead in mr and mrs smith she stars in this movie with jack quaid as uh, two friends who commit to going to all the weddings that summer together as their plus ones and a romantic relationship is struck up. Uh, I'm going to tell you this movie wrecked me. It is a joy and a delight but also sometimes just heartbreaking. It's pleasant. I liked it a lot and I will remember it always and I'm grateful to David for having told me of this movie that I hadn't ever heard of before. I'm glad I watched it and I recommend it to you all as well. Jack Quaid is like the quietest superstar everyone will love. He really is. And on a fun note, that movie will be arriving on Netflix next week. It's all connected, everyone. <laughs> Tim, how about you? Tim, I would love to have moved on to Octopath Traveler 2. Uh, and I came very close to buying it at full price, but I think I can wait till I see it on sale somewhere. But as a completist, I have um, I am on the final fight in Octopath Traveler <laughs> 1, and it is kicking my freaking butt. <laughs> and I am so angry at it, but I will not sleep until I complete it because that's just how I am when I mm-hmm. get involved in, uh, in in games. And yeah, so nothing nothing new for me this week. I've been still finishing, trying to finish all the loose ends up in that game. And then I watched a couple more episodes of Poker Face, which is still great. Definitely fun. Do check that out. And in Ryan Johnson news, I guess we got news that a third Knives Out film will begin filming later this year. Hooray. Hey, hey. Yeah, I don't claim to understand those games, Tim, but... Kim was working on it the other night and she said, oh, wow, the boss I was fighting just ate the other boss I was fighting. So (laughs) (laughs) it is it is the old 90s turn based like Final Fantasy JRPGs just given a, a modern coat of paint. And it is it is perfect. 
All right, David, what's been keeping you busy? Well, as Kim knows, this was an absolutely crazy week for us, just comically so. And some other events made it that much more hectic. But uh, I did manage to find time the other night to rewatch The Crow. And I just have to say, it remains a film that was so far ahead of its time in terms of style and just thoughtfulness about how to actually give every character who gets any time in the film a purpose. And that is so rare in this day and age, but we lost somebody who could have been one of the greatest ever when he died on the set of that. I mean, just his talent out of this world and Tony Todd should have a much bigger career than he does because he is just quantifiable superstar. The Crow has one of the best movie soundtracks ever, quite possibly the best soundtrack ever, and the movie holds up. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, and we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 